from New York City. A podcast from working actors, directors, and playwrights. This is the Crime Havoc Company. Hello, and welcome to the Cry Havoc Podcast. Today around the table we have... Jen Riker, I'm a writer. Tim Davis, I'm an actor and a writer. Jenny Curlin, I'm an actor and a writer. And Kit Lavoy, I am a writer and director. Today we are doing the third part of our five-part series on playwriting with uh, some of the playwrights in the Cry Havoc community. Uh, we've already done episodes on preparing to write and writing your first draft. And our topic today is about soliciting and hearing feedback on your writing. And later on, we will also do episodes on rewriting and on being the playwright in a rehearsal room. Feedback is actually a very important part of the culture of the Cry Habit Company. We are primarily a developmental company, and that means that we do give a lot of feedback on the on different plays that people are writing. And in fact, we have a workshop group that meets every week that does give feedback from actors and writers and directors on the different things that people in the community are writing. It is also an important and kind of curious part of the playwriting process. Most plays, by the time they're accepted to be done by a theater, have gone through any number of readings and workshops and works with different directors and artistic directors and dramaturgs and are really the product of a huge amount of feedback. But feedback on, again, the play that the playwright is trying to write. And, of course, every part of the artistic process of theater depends on feedback. But, for instance, with acting, there's a very structured process for the feedback, and it's known as rehearsal, where they come in and they work, and they get feedback from the director about what they need to do. The odd thing about playwriting is that it is really up to the playwright to determine when they're ready for the next round of feedback. And so we're going to talk today about how you decide when you're ready, how you ask for it, and what you do about it. We did an earlier episode on feedback in a more general sense that included acting and, and directing as well as writing. And this podcast is uh, hopefully going to expand on that. And in not only that it is about writing specifically, but also that it's very specifically about the way that the writers in this room incorporate feedback into their particular writing process. Before we start the discussion, we should add the fact that as when Jenny introduced herself, uh, she forgot that she was also a writer because Jenny has only uh, relatively recently begun writing and actually is, is a, a very good writer, especially for as early in her career as she is. And before we have talked in the past about um, that many of us were actors before we were writers and uh, how that works in and why, Jenny, have you made that transition? Honestly, it was from coming to Cry Havoc for, for so many years and just seeing the work that people were bringing in and I kind of always wanted to try it but I was really nervous about the idea of writing and so I was putting it off and putting it off and finally I had this idea that I wanted to write about pigeons and pirates and make it an animated film and I, I still was putting it off and off and off and then finally one day I was like I'm going to bring in 10 pages of this animated screenplay by Monday and it was you know the previous Monday or whatever so I, I gave myself a week and I made myself do it and it, I'm, I'm really happy that I did. All right now you're a hyphenate. Now I'm a hyphenate. All right, so one of the things that is a very central tenet of our workshop group, and it's actually something that the workshop, the playwriting groups ran, run by Mayor Ribolo have uh, this rule, and we have, have adopted it, I'm sure others do as well, but that when you're talking to a playwright about their play, you need to talk to them about the play that they are trying to write, and not about the play that you would have written about the same topic. Um, or about those characters or, or anything like that. And that puts an onus both on the playwright who's asking for feedback and also on the people who are giving their feedback. So let's start off by talking about how do you know when you are ready to get feedback on a piece of writing? I think there are two times when I seek out feedback. One is when I'm trying to keep on a schedule 
to complete something, I like to bring in serial additions. That's something that keeps me writing. And so I'm ready for feedback because if I don't say I'm ready for feedback, I'm not going to get the writing done. The other is when I've completed a draft. The, the whole draft can be just because I just finished it, or it can be because I'm considering submitting it for something else. So, you know, the, the, the completion of the draft or the, the whole draft feedback can be for either, you know, because it's fresh or because I'm looking at it for, the, for a new purpose. I don't know how to define the point at which I feel ready for feedback other than I seem to reach organically some sort of stopping point. Sometimes that's a whole draft of something. Sometimes if it's a full-length play, that's an act or a couple scenes. But it seems like a natural stopping point. You just sort of feel that, like, I had something but needed to sort of take a breath. And in that breath would be a welcome place to receive feedback. I feel like probably because I'm very new, very new at this, I, I want feedback constantly. Um, but I feel like it's, it's at the end of a scene. Like I'll write a scene and I'll definitely want to check in and just make sure I'm sticking to what I need to do and structure and stuff like that just because I, I feel like I need that constant check-in at, at this time. You know, something that's actually changing for me is I used to more often, it's, it's fairly recent change, which is uh, I used to bring in scene by scene by scene all the time and now I try to bring in only things that have a complete arc when I bring in a partial a, a partial piece where it's like you know the first 10 minutes or something and so I'm trying to get feedback and it's like uh, people are giving me feedback on what they've heard and where they think it's going but they don't know the whole of it and I can't really answer their questions without saying well oh we didn't get to that part yet you'll see you'll see when I when I bring the rest of it in it'll all make sense and I've, I've, I've been finding that one it's not as useful for me I feel like I, I have to explain and I don't think that that gives them good um, a good like landing place to give me feedback from but also what they do give me feedback in the way it gets incorporated into the, the, the next, like the continuation and like I, I may go back to the beginning of those 10 pages and try to incorporate their suggestions. I don't think it's very, as, as helpful because I, I've already started straying from my original vision of whatever I was trying to write to accommodate the feedback and, and maybe it's not going to land in the same place because already I'm like altering my trajectory. And so it's, I've been striving to kind of like shoot the arrow, let it land, and then, and then show it. And that can be a scene, and it can be like a part of a play. It doesn't have to be the whole thing, but I have to, I feel like I do need to start trying to bring in only complete arcs. Yeah, I think that's important, and I, I definitely know uh, I do that same thing. And I think that's because in good writing, individual elements of a play really don't exist in a vacuum that you're really doing a cascade of events, mm -hmm. that the last event in an arc would not necessarily, or hopefully would not be nearly as meaningful if you had not had the rest of it. And I think for me that means when I'm writing a one-act play, I tend to, wait, to want to wait until I have a full draft. It may be a very imperfect draft, but at least something where, you know, people can see where it lands. Um, because very often I think the feedback you get, and often the feedback that I give candidly a about writing, is that the place this ends up is not the thing that you've set up, or the thing that place where I end up is not the thing that I have set up. But that makes, it's a very valid choice to choose either, well then I need to set it up differently because I want to land where I landed, or I need to be more truthful to the setup I've developed and land where the setup demands that I land. Um, but that choice really belongs to the playwright. And unless you're showing the person or people who you're asking feedback for that whole arc, all they can, as you said, all, all they can do is, is comment on the part of it that they've seen. Um, you know, that said, uh, for a full-length play, it certainly can be a scene you know, has an arc of its own and people can comment on the arc as it exists in that scene. 
one thing that's interesting about our group is that we have great actors who are really skilled at giving feedback, which is incredibly useful. Just to hear it out loud with people who know what they're doing, what they're responding to, the way that an audience would seeing something for the first time. You know, their first experience of a moment is something that I find valuable. It's feedback, not in the sense that I'm asking for it, it's just seeing how it hits them. And I think part of it, we, we did an episode a little while ago about goal setting. And I mean, I think we all agree that goal setting is very important. And I think that that's one of the places where you know that you're ready for feedback, is if you've reached the end of one of your goals and you want to check in to see how you've achieved it. So when you're talking about a first draft of something, you know, again, it can, you, the odds of you having reached your goal for the scene halfway through the scene is unlikely. Uh, or frankly, if you have, it probably should be the end of the scene. Um, so, uh, you know, or a one-act play, likely you haven't reached your, your goal until you've reached the end of the play. Or if you're doing rewrites, again, hopefully you have set for yourself a goal of this is what I want to do in this draft. And so you want to show it to someone for feedback, again, to check in to see how you have or have not achieved that goal that you've set out to do. So I think it's actually one of those things that if you don't, if you can't articulate what you are looking for feedback on, you're probably not yet at a place that you're ready for feedback. You know, and I think that's the thing is you want to write until you're at a place where it's like, I need to know how this is received. And then you bring it for, for feedback. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So once you have decided that you are ready for feedback, who do you guys ask? I mean, we've talked a bit about the uh, the Cry Havoc workshop group, and certainly we all can expound on that, but are there, are there other people who you ask as well? I think the Cry Havoc group is my primary feedback uh, group. That I also have uh, an, another players, uh, playwrights group, the Players Club, um, but that's uh, more sporadic because it's, it's a monthly group and you know there's a dozen or so writers in there, so you only come up every once in a while. So, but you know, there, that's one other group. And then um, if I don't have those opportunities or if I need additional help, I, I would give it to somebody to read individually. Probably somebody, a colleague from the, from Cryhab. I also make great use of and, and appreciate the, the Cryhab workshop. and uh, So I go to that group. I think it's the only group I go to. I also have a couple of very, very trusted uh, colleagues um, who know not only a bit about my work, but know a bit about me and what I'm interested in writing. So that their their feedback is sort of in the context of knowing what I'm about as an artist, which, um, and, and that sounds kind of pretentious, but you know, just sort of what you're, what I'm interested in doing as, as a writer and, and what my own personal aesthetic might be. Um, because that they can sort of couch their criticisms in a way that's directly applicable to not only what I've written, but what they suspect my interests are, because mm -hmm. they're usually right. <laughs> oh, I would say workshop, too. I know I actually, my, <laughs> my parents weren't down, and I was excited that I had been writing, so I showed my mom what I had written so far of the pigeons. And I, I realized it's really important to, to ask people who this is not a diss on my mom, but like to, <laughs> to to look to people who know what they're doing and talking about, because my mom didn't even get that it was about pigeons. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's just hurtful. But I mean, I think that speaks to something that's important, which is that there can be very valuable feedback that you can get from a quote-unquote lay audience who are not, you know, theater people. Yeah. Um, but that is, I think, best done in the setting of a, of a reading, of a public reading of something. Because reading a play or a screenplay on the page is really a skill to be able to sort of extrapolate how these words in a page would actually happen on a stage. You know, and people who do that for a living or at least for a, a serious hobby will be able to, to readily read on the page and see what, would, what that would become. But you shouldn't necessarily expect that your mom would be able to read a screenplay and understand what this cut to exterior central right, part, right, right, right. what that even means. I mean, especially a screenplay, there's actually kind of a code to the way that, it, that it's all written. I know uh, for, for myself, I do have a, beyond the, the workshop group, which I, I do value incredibly, 
actually being able to get feedback in a group where people are able to hear what someone else says and be able to play off it and, and, and let those ideas, you know, sort of ruminate with each other. And also to be in a, in a space where uh, I actually can sit back and listen to the conversation about the play, as opposed to when you've given it to a specific person to give feedback on. It's a, I mean, it's incredibly valuable, but it's, a, you know, it's a very much... Um, it seems to come through one very specific filter. Yeah. And when you go to an individual, particularly the way I do it, where you give them the piece and then they, they take the time to read it and, and they'll either talk to you about it or, and or sort of present their notes for it, um, it, it, can be, it can be incredibly, incredibly valuable, but it can also be sort of trepidatious if you know, they wind up addressing or just ingesting the piece in a way that is not just sort of what your intentions are and what their reception is is doesn't match up mm -hmm. and that can be instructive that oh this person you know uh, totally missed what I was going for so I need to address that perhaps but it also means that they've just invested a lot of time in giving you feedback in a way that kind of mm -hmm. misses you and, and misses your your intent yeah and I also it feels a little bit actually like I, I think we've mentioned we've mentioned in, a, in an episode a while ago about auditioning about why you don't do your monologue to the person you're auditioning for because they spend so much focus being your scene partner that they kind of miss the monologue you're yeah. doing and I actually do find sometimes when you're sitting down one on one talking about a play and listening to somebody directly talk to you about what they think about your writing. Again, it's it can be incredibly valuable, but there are some times where the social construct of that actually gets a little bit in the way of really hearing what's being said, as opposed to if we're sitting and talking about a play, and Jenny says something, and then Jen has something to say to Jenny about what Jenny just said about the play. Somehow I find that hearing the conversation about the play makes it much easier for me to ingest. Yeah, it's easier to... I would say it's easier as well. <laughs> <laughs> and to separate yourself yeah. to a degree. Um, I also, so for myself, I, I actually find it really useful, and I actually usually use Jenny for this, that when I finish writing anything that's a big enough chunk to show anyone, I send it immediately to Jenny even before I look at it again. Um, and then I look at it again, but I, I find it just very useful that I very first look of this section didn't make any sense to me. And part of it actually is, is, is useful because I think it gives me a little bit of a safe distance that if I send it to you without really having read it, if it didn't make any sense to you, that's cool. I would have caught that if I'd read it again. But there's something about getting the, the most raw feedback possible. And I, I like to do that with, again, often with Jenny or with someone before I even bring it into the workshop. So I can sort of do one once over just to kind of deal with the you know, basic clarity issues of something where, you know, and, and you actually I know, are very good about that. Yeah, and you, you, you actually send stuff to me too that, um, again, it's not, not so much about let's talk about how you are expressing your idea, but I didn't understand this section. Mm -hmm. If you want to get thoughtful feedback from people, you need to make clear that she actually left the room at that moment. You know, it's, uh, you know, it's, yeah. it's really useful to do that. And I also know in terms of people that I ask, you know, there are a handful and certainly the people at the table today and a handful of other people who I just really trust their sense of dramaturgy and would always share something, you know, with, with them, especially if, if it was something I was looking for feedback on before or at a time where I wouldn't be able to, uh, to, to bring it into the workshop. And also sometimes I find if there's something that I know I'm writing with a specific actor in mind, for instance, or for a specific director to direct, I sometimes will show it to them and say, "This is I'm, I'm, I'm writing this with you in mind. And you've got to be a little bit careful, and I think most people understand that if I'm writing a role with Tim in mind and then, you know, the public theater wants to do it and wants uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman to be in it, well, you know, it's a play, <laughs> and maybe Philip Seymour Hoffman will be in it. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I think it can be really helpful both in terms of... of, of well, one, it's a nice thing to give somebody a play and saying, I'm thinking of you when I'm writing it. Uh, two, it sort of gets them engaged in the process of helping 
helping it along. And three, I think it really creates a sense of accountability for me. I mean, that there really is, I know with all of the things that I am juggling in my world, it helps me certainly to know on Monday night when we have our workshop that I've promised a group of people I'll have a new scene helps me write. But it also helps if, if again, I'm writing something and show it to Jenny and say, this is something I'm writing for, uh, with you in mind. You know, it, it helps me keep that on the front burner of things. The other reason I think it's, it's interesting to have both the writing group and individuals as separate resources that can both help you is that I try to give, I try to give feedback only when I'm really, really clear about what I'm thinking so that you know, my response can be helpful. And a lot of times after, when, when I'm, say, at workshop, you know, we'll finish a reading and I don't have an entry point yet for how to give feedback. You know, I have some unformed thoughts that are sort of starting to coalesce, but actually, uh, and as you were alluding to earlier, Kit, the discussion that other people have can sort of allow me that entry point. Mm -hmm. When you ask someone individually, you know, as you were saying, sometimes that entry port point can be can be uh, difficult to find, but also you know where they've, where I've asked someone, you know that person's been asked individually. You're obligated to, <laughs> you're obligated to come up with something, yeah. and that's why sometimes it, it, I think it's valuable to have both of those, and because I try to be a little forgiving, I think, to the people who do offer me feedback as individuals, understanding that uh, uh, not in a negative way, but I've kind of put them on the spot mm -hmm. because. Um, I, I, in a group setting, it's much easier for me to just take a pass and not offer anything. You know, okay, I don't have anything helpful to, to offer yet, so let me, let me sit back until either I find my trigger and find my, my entry point, or until my, my thought coalesces into something helpful. And if, as an individual, you're sort of obligated to, well, I hope this is helpful, but you're asking for feedback, so I'm giving you something. Yeah. Yeah. A another category of people that I think can be very helpful to seek out advice from are, and this is actually one that often makes me very nervous, but people who are expert on the subject matter that you're writing about, hmm. you know, that that is something, again, I, I, you know, have written plays about scientists and I know scientists and it's very nerve-wracking to give somebody something to say, does this sound like the way that a group of scientists researching this would talk about it? Mm -hmm. um, you know, because the answer may be no, and I'm offended that you think that we talk about that this way. <laughs> I mean, you hope not. But that's a place where I find it is usually best. I mean, I think you certainly can tap those people's brains for ideas, but I find it's usually best to bring it to, to those people after you've already gotten feedback about story. Yeah. yeah. You know, so, so that, it, again, it's, you know, if you're writing a show, a play about a rock band and what it's like to be on tour. I've never been on tour with a rock band, but I think before I'd want to show it to somebody, I'd ultimately want somebody who had to sit down with it with me and, and make sure that it sounds accurate. You know, but I, I think it's really helpful, uh, and I think we'll probably talk about this more in, in, in the, the, the next section of the discussion, but the more specific you can be with people about what it is you're seeking feedback on. So yeah. if you can go to the scientist or the member of the band and be able to say, I've got the story I want to tell, but these are the questions I've got about how authentic it is, without also making them juggle whether or not they think it's a good story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, certainly if they are in that world and are saying they don't find the story to be interesting, well, that's helpful or to know that too. That but... never, <laughs> ever happen. <laughs> um, but uh, it, 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 it's something that we did mention before and I, I think is... Is, is important, is that ultimately, of course, you do want to be able to get feedback from a lay audience. I mean, I think for the reasons we talked about before, especially when you're working out the nuts and bolts of things and, and, and letting it build and before you really have a full story that you're ready to present, it, you're really generally, I think, best off, you know, sharing it with people who know how plays become plays and have some sort of a, um, a, a perspective on that. But at the same time, ultimately, you are writing the play, hopefully, to be done for an audience of the public. And if the play only makes sense to people who are uh, appreciative of the astute dramaturgy that you've, mm -hmm. that, that you're, well, you know, that's not who's going to come see the show. So at some point, you really do need to show it to people who are not theater people and, and see how they respond to it. So once you know that you're ready for feedback, and you've 
identified people you want to ask about it. Um, what do you ask them? And to what extent does it depend uh, who you're asking? I think it very much depends on who you're asking, but it's the, the most important thing is not to just kind of fling it out there and say, what do you think? You need to have specific things that you want to, questions that you want to have people answer. Even if you let them be general, like you can ask, what do you think in general? And see what they, what they come back with. But it's really important to, to make the best use of it, to have some, some things that you are wondering about that you can ask them. Because it, that's one of those things, like you were saying about the entry point, that's one of those things that helps people focus their thoughts in a way that's useful to you. Like if, you know, in the, with, with the groups, you, you, you could have had a feeling about what this play, you know, you had a feeling of how this scene was going, you're not quite sure what was the problem with it. And then somebody else says, oh, you know, that was like this, you know, this other thing that you said in the other scene, and then it's like, that's why it didn't make any sense to me, because, and so, it, it's, help, it's helpful in the, in the group to, to give a question also, to say, tell me what you thought about the relationship between these two characters. Did it seem realistic? Um, did you, what was your sense of their history? Uh, did you did you sense that they were being honest with each other? Like it, a series of questions like that will be, you know, even if the answers are yes, no, I don't think they, I think they're strangers. You know that those kinds of things, the way that people experience your play is is you know, it's those little building blocks that help you, you know, address the problems. In in an initial draft or in in a first time I asked for feedback. Uh, I usually just sort of present what my what my inspiration for writing this particular piece of, of writing is, what, what I'm trying to address, or, or the dramatic question I'm wrestling with. And then as I go through several drafts, mm -hmm. the questions become more and more specific. Mm -hmm. And I think that's helpful to, to have at least, an, uh, to be able to present what the, the the dramatic question is you're after or what the the inspiration for the piece is because there's times and, and I don't mean to betray myself in being an uninquisitive person but there's oftentimes I've been sitting in, in workshop and we'll do a first draft of something and there is no entry point for me there's not it doesn't seem to really engage me I mean sometimes it does but then there's other points where we'll read a draft of something and I'm I don't really have anything to offer it doesn't really it, excite me in, in any particular way but then the, the the writer will start talking about what they're trying to get to and then that excites me because then I can go back and start seeing you know reviewing my experience of the play mm -hmm. and how what their ambition for that piece is how to start getting there yeah. from this first draft that they've written but without that initial hey here's the things I'm trying to address you know uh, with you know I, I usually don't have much more than a, a casual thumbs up or a thumbs down, which is probably the least valuable feedback, at least for our group. I don't have much to say other than, eh, pretty good, or, eh, it was all right. Well, I mean, part <laughs> of it, it also is the, I mean, gets back to that idea that if you are giving a playwright feedback on uh, the play that they're writing, you want to give them feedback on the play, again, that they're trying to write. Yeah. And I think part of it is that that has become so ingrained for all of us that in a vacuum, you know, when somebody yeah. says, here's a play, tell me what you think. Well, it's hard to say. I mean, I can tell you whether I liked it or not, but whether I liked it or not is not the point. Yeah. You know, whether or not you got at what you were trying to do is yeah. Yeah. the point. And, you know, and there certainly are ways in which, I, I mean, I know I often find myself in circumstances where people don't spell out what they're saying, you know, that I will say, well, I will take from what they say at this point that what you're trying to get at is this. It feels to me like that's the pivot line of the scene. That's the thesis of the scene. Is that true? If it's true, this is what I think. If it's not true, what I can tell you is that that, is, that was the thing that captured my attention in the scene. Um, and you should know that the thing that captured my attention in the scene was not the thing that you wanted to capture my attention in the scene. A lot of people will then go the step further and say, I find that more interesting than the play you're trying to write, so you should write that one instead. And I don't think that's fair. Mm -hmm. You know, that said, I also do think it's valid, since that line or that idea did also come from the playwright, that if the playwright wants to say, you know what, that thing that you found interesting in the scene, maybe that should be the thing that mm -hmm. the scene's about. But that, again, 
should be left up to the playwright. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a there's a certain sense to which with the the first time things are brought in front of people, people who have no experience of the play beforehand, there are some generic questions that are sort of useful to me, which is you know what appealed to you, what what logic didn't make sense to you, where did you at uh, the, the way it's phrased, I'm not sure, is a familiar to people, but is where did you fall out of the story? You know, what, you know, where did you stop paying attention? <laughs> if you can remember where you stopped paying attention. Um, just as like general story. Like, I'm telling you a story. Tell me what excited you about it and what didn't. Were like, there any what, questions yeah, that you were left what, with at the yeah. end of the scene? Did something not make sense to you? Did something like really excite you? That And like, I, I kind of, you know those first first read uh, nuggets are really important to me because I know what I think is the nugget, <laughs> and if it doesn't, if no one else picks up on like what I think is the best thing, I I you know that's something I need to look at. And if something I did unintentionally is really appealing, I also need to know that. So I actually, you guys were talking about like giving it to people in advance of of when you have a group read it. And I love hearing people's fresh take. Mm -hmm. So I try to kind of keep keep things secret until it gets to the group so that I can get that first impression, so that I can preserve that first impression. So that, it, which to me is kind of like my one chance to get professionals to hear it like an audience. Because the way an audience will experience it is as if for the first time. And so, you know, that's, you know, the first time I bring it anywhere, that, that is really precious to me, what, what people get from it just on the first, you know, wave of consciousness, what, what gets to you the first time you hear it. Like, does it, like, hopefully it works all the way, and I don't have to do much more, but, like, that, you know, just that first storytelling, you know, I think is really important to me. Yeah. And that's why, I mean, I kind of try to split the difference a bit, because I know there are times where Jenny will be reading something that I wrote, and people are like, oh, what's that? And I say, you can't read it, you'll hear it on Monday. You know, you do want to keep that. I, I also think one of the things that, you know, I think is, it can be incredibly helpful from feedback is clarity. That really is the story that you're trying to tell clear. <laughs> and I think, I think a few things about it, but one of the things that I... I I think can be incredibly helpful is at the beginning of a discussion to get a baseline. And one of the reasons that actually even when we bring in rewrites into workshop, we always start talking to the people who were not there the last time it was read, you know, to sort of get, you know, because other people have the context of, oh, because you changed this line, I see how it's more X, Y, or Z. But the people who have not heard it, you know, can tell you whether it is or is not X, Y, or Z. You know, because sometimes it's hard to tell. You can say, oh, yes, you've moved it in the right direction. But it's hard to tell when you haven't already had a discussion about what's important to the playwright, um, whether or not it's actually, mm -hmm. you know, far enough in that direction that people who don't know what you're doing will get it. Um, you know, and, and I think uh, that, that it can be very helpful, whether in a group or with an individual, just to start off with baseline questions. If you give somebody a play, or you give someone a scene and say, can you tell me what happened in this scene? Mm -hmm. mm. And if they missed an important plot point, that's really important. Because if you phrase it as, did you understand that X, Y, or Z, a lot of times they can look back and go, oh, oh, sure, I see where that was in the scene. Mm -hmm. But that's not the way when you do it in front of people. You don't, at the end of the scene, give them a quiz. Um, you know, it's, it, you know, and it can be helpful if you just ask them, tell me what happened in the scene. You can find out whether what you're getting across helps. Something else that I find really helpful, especially when it's a full-length play, because as we talked about, that hopefully in a well-written play of any sort, it's a cascade of events, is I also like to ask people, what do you think is going to happen next? Um, so that you can get a sense of what expectation you've set up. Mm -hmm. Candidly, for me, it's because I like, I like often, and I think you know, a lot of writers do, where you set up an expectation that you later are going to uh, confound, that it is going to turn out that the audience thought one thing was going to happen, something else happened instead. But it can be very useful if this is the scene where you are setting up the misdirection 
to find out whether the misdirection worked or not. Yeah. Um, and especially if you don't have that later scene. You know, if you can just have them at the end and you can say, oh, I see, she's going to find out later that her father was really the killer. Good, that's what I want them to think at this point. Or, oh no, that's what they're supposed to find out four scenes from now, but it's too clear this early. <laughs> Need to fix that. I have revealed it too soon. I like to, um, because you were talking about when we bring things in multiple times to give sort of a baseline to people who haven't heard it before, I tend to give more background information the more times it's been read. Like I, like I said, I, I really treasure that first read. So I tend to give no setup information whatsoever on the first read. And then as subsequent drafts and rewrites come in, I tend to say, okay, everybody here familiar with the play? This is what I'm going for this time. This is what I tried to address. So can you please listen to the read today and tell me if I've done X, Y, Z? I do Again. the same. I, 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 I do the same thing. I think that's, for me, that's most valuable. I think we've all sort of touched on it, but particularly in that first read, the questions you'll you'll get back will help you really identify what it is that wasn't wasn't clear from an audience. And if you if you sort of set up their awareness prior, you know, you, you I think you sort of lose that freshness. That right, you're which is giving about. them more information that is in the play. Yeah, and I think I mean certainly I, I do too. The more the further in you get, and the more familiar people are, you know, the more information you want to give them about what you were trying to achieve. But I think that there's a real skill to asking the questions that are going to get you the answers that you want. And I think in, in a very real way, it very often isn't about asking the question, the answer to which is the answer that you want. Sometimes you want to ask a question that the answer to which will tell you the answer that you want. And what I mean by that is that you don't want to ask a question that hints at the answer that you're looking for. Mm -hmm. So it's that difference between saying, you know, is it clear that John wanted X? Mm. Or was it clearer to you what John wanted and what was it? Mm -hmm. Because again, in retrospect, people can go, oh yeah, I can see how he wanted X. Whereas if you say, did you understand what he wanted? Either people can say, I really didn't get a sense where he wanted which is one piece or, of information. Oh, or, oh, <laughs> yeah. or, yes, I did, and this was it. Now, if this was it was the thing you were going for, you know you got it because they came up with it on their own. If it's not what you wanted, well, you know that it was the wrong thing. And then you can ask follow-up questions about, well, what was it? And actually, it can be helpful, actually, if you don't say, oh, no, that's not what I wanted. Well, why? But if you, again, keep the neutral tone, of, and what, what in the scene made you think that that's what he wanted? And then you can find out. Because again, the same way that we talk about when you're giving feedback, that you're giving feedback on the play the playwright is trying to write, I think it's also helpful, while really embracing and letting the people into your process, to realize that when you're asking for feedback, you are letting them into your process and they are there for you. And what you're doing when you're asking for feedback is you are investigating how successfully you have reached the goals mm -hmm. that you have, have reached. And so there is a degree to which when you set something up, it's like when there's a murder and the police withhold details of the murder mm -hmm. so that they know that they're, you know, of the means of the murder, so that they can tell whether or not someone is lying. They, they know whether they've got the secret information. And I think, it, again, it's a real skill to figure out what do I need to ask that will get the answer that I want without contaminating that answer by leading the people you're asking to it. What I've learned about framing, you know, the asks, the, you know, the questions I have when, when I bring in something, uh, goes to, I think, the value of a writing group, which is, for me, what's, what's valuable is to ask a question that invites a discussion or invites a debate, and then I can sort of sit back and listen and, and engage what everybody was getting. Mm -hmm. In general, if, I, I have found for me personally that when, when I am asked or when I ask questions that lead to sort of definitive yes-no answers, they're, they're very, for me, they're very unhelpful. And mm -hmm as the person presenting work and as someone who's been asked to give feedback, if someone sort of asks a yes or no question, 
this may not be entirely right, but I feel like it is. The more open-ended a question I ask, I feel like the more specific feedback I can get back. And sometimes the more specific, not in terms of, 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 of event or character, but the more specific in terms of asking for an answer, the more specific I demand an answer be, the less information I get. Mm -hmm. You know, a, a very common question that, 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 that I've seen in a variety of settings uh, is, you know, did, did you find the characters believable? I'm almost sort of ambivalent at that point with that. Yeah, I guess, sure. You know, it, it sort it, in a weird way that the specificity of that question makes my answer general and, and non-committed. Mm -hmm. Whereas if the, the question is framed in a in a more specific but open-ended way that invites discussion, you get really interesting discussion, particularly in a workshop setting at that point. Mm -hmm. One of the things I find very valuable about a group setting for feedback is that what what people are doing for you, what they're giving you back, what feedback is, is their experience of hearing the story. And every individual will have their own filters and own history that they hear it from. So you have to be able to, uh, you can hear like there's two sides, like all the people, you know, half the people think this is what happened and half the people think that is what happened and that's kind of like the who wants to be a millionaire, you know, ask the audience kind of a thing where, <laughs> you know, the, it's sort of like 80% of the people got what was going on and 20% totally missed it, you know, that kind of a thing. But also, someone can feel really strongly about what they thought was happening and be appalled at you for whatever it is and it's totally not what's there and you have to be able to, you, I mean, yes, you have to listen to every individual person's experience, but you also have to weight it. It's one person's opinion. And sometimes one person's opinion, they can be right, and sometimes they can be wrong. And you have to be able to weigh and take it into what you're trying to do. You know, if 80% you know, think one thing, that's, you know, you could take that a certain way. But if there's one really smart person who has something really, you know, you know, focus to say, they, even if everybody else was like, eh, that's fine, you may want to listen to that person who knows, who, who's getting to the heart of what you're, you're trying to do. There's a real value to that in, in contextualizing your feedback in that. And, and, and while it sometimes does break down to, you know, who's really smart and really, really, uh, uh, really knows their stuff, sometimes it's just there are our, our aesthetic, artistic differences. And I know there's, there's uh, people with whom you know, I have great respect for their work and great respect for their intelligence and, and their sensitivity, but I know that our style of work just kind of misses each other. And I can tell that if every time we have you know, a, a feedback session, just, just the way in which that engagement goes, we just kind of miss each other a little bit. And, and that's something I just kind of need to know. Mm -hmm. That sometimes I'm just, all right, this person's getting this, but you know, we, we, we tend to miss each other a little bit. So, so I'll, I'll absorb that, but maybe that isn't the most valuable piece of information I'll get at. And, and other times there'll be someone who, who does have a great understanding of the work you, you try to do and has an understanding of where you are as a writer and the, the specific challenges you're dealing with in that piece and as you as a writer in specific and that may be somebody you really want to tune in on mm -hmm. because they they may really be able to get at the heart of, mm -hmm. of, of, of what you're you're struggling with or trying to address. I think it's a skill that some people are just born with, like that incisive, you know, intuitive knowledge <laughs> that, you know. There's a degree to which I think that's true, but also, I mean, it is something that uh, is a muscle that can be developed in a, in a very real way. and. Um, you know, and, and it is something that, you know, it is one of the things that I think is, is important to realize uh, when you're listening to feedback is that very, 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 very often the place where a problem makes itself apparent is not the place where the problem actually exists. Right. And I think that that is something... A, for yourself as a playwright to be listening to, that you get somebody saying, this moment in the play, I didn't understand it, it didn't make sense to me. 
And you can drive yourself crazy chasing your tail trying to figure out how to rewrite that moment, which may be necessary, but much more likely the issue is actually that you haven't set that moment up effectively earlier. Um, you know, and so, and so it is, it's, it's very useful, again, to be able to listen to the conversation in a way that allows you to figure out what you want to do about the play, rather than listening to the conversation to hear what other people want you to do the with the play. prescription. The prescription, exactly. And that said, there are people who absolutely can say, this doesn't play, and I think you should look at this thing two scenes earlier, because I think that's where it's missing. Uh, I, I, and, you know, you should listen to people who you trust who know how to do that. Mm -hmm. And that actually can very often be a really... If, if there's someone who you really trust their dramaturgical skill, that can be not only is it good on the front end of things, but if you reach a place where you just are banging your head against the wall and can't figure out how to make something work, sometimes it really helps to bring it to somebody who you really know knows what they're talking about and can say, where is the problem here? Because I've tried fixing it these seven places and none of them did it. Yeah, and, so, and at that point, especially if it's like, you know, multiple, multiple drafts in, and I don't know what to do anymore, it's very helpful to get someone, a dramaturg, to sit down with you and say, try this, try this, try this. And even though it may still kind of like go against what I'm thinking is going on, I will at that point try it. I am willing mm -hmm. to kind of put on the shelf for a minute what I was doing and try somebody else's method, knowing that I can always go back to the shelf and put it back. If, I, if, I did, if it didn't work, I can always go back to that other draft. That draft still exists. I haven't thrown it away or burned it up. It's still there. I can go back, but I'm going to try it, and maybe it'll work. It's so funny, being both uh, having ambitions as both an actor and a writer. You know, when we were, I've talked about taking feedback as an actor, and I've said you know, that when I'm in my relationship with the director, that I'm really content to, to, uh, to be left alone to my own devices unless... What I've said is I'm either ruining the play of the director he feels like he needs to intervene, or if I really don't know what to do. Um, and at that point, I'm, I'm, you know, at that point you'll see cut. But it's sort of the same thing as a, as, as a writer. I'm fine, and I'll, I'll take in the the feedback as as I find necessary, and I'm really okay with being left alone with those, with with that feedback and utilizing it to to the benefit of my play. But then if there's a point where I feel like I'm ruining my own play, kind of at that point you sort of it's seek like, the help. No one will like this play if they hear <laughs> it if someone doesn't help me fix it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you sort of at that point you can sort of surrender that. Like you, I don't want to have written a bad play. Yeah, we, and you don't really surrender ownership of the play as mm -hmm. much as you temporarily release, I, I think, complete authorship, I think. In an attempt, yeah, in a, sort of, I, I, attempt to I, mean, I, I, have that, I definitely have that feeling. Sometimes when I'm, you know, doing somebody's prescription, mm -hmm. uh, it kind of feels like this is not me. This wasn't my generated in my brain. So right. like, it's not my play if I do this. But it becomes your play again once you've written that. Yeah. Um, and, and you're the arbiter of whether it stays. Yeah. Or not. yeah. And it does. I, it, I can always go back, and yeah. I can, you know, I can always throw that out and do something else. Yeah. Um, but it definitely, it's like the directing. The directing doesn't make it any less your performance. Yeah. Well, the dramaturgy you know, doesn't make it any less your play, unless the dramaturgy took it, the dramaturg took it home and wrote it and gave it back to you. And especially if the dramaturg is a respectful dramaturg and is asking you, what are you trying to do here? Mm -hmm. And, well, have you tried doing it this way? I bet if you switch the order of these two scenes... Mm-hmm. Um, or you took this piece of information that's, a, that, that's revealed in scene four and actually save it until scene seven, I think you will find that scene six plays better if mm -hmm. people don't know that yet. Mm -hmm. You know, that that's just, sometimes you get so close to something that of course that information comes out in scene four. That's what scene four is. Whereas somebody else has got, got a little bit of distance, mm -hmm. it's not taking anything away from you, but it's saying that information, you don't actually need it there. I don't use it till four scenes later, so move it back. Mm -hmm. um, and it goes back to what you said very early on, Kit, which is that a, a suggestion, while it comes from another person, it's the, it's, it's the author who 
you know, chooses to use that suggestion, you can then take ownership of it. The uh, most recent play that I wrote um, had a lot of problems, and, and Kit in, in Workshop made the suggestion of moving the time at which the confrontation that was the entire play happened. Um, and that led to a, a radical, radical rewrite where one of the characters who was in the play uh, uh, became a character of the world who did not appear in the play anymore and an entirely new character uh, appeared. I was thankful for that suggestion because I was incredibly stuck with where I was with that play and knew it wasn't working. It, because of my closeness to that, it never, my, because of my proximity to it, it never would have occurred to me to to uh, make to myself the suggestion Kit made. And even the suggestion Kit made wasn't what I wound up doing, it, but it was it was the, the, the birth of that thought that led to an entirely new draft. Yeah, and, and I mean, the basic setup of, of that was, was it was two characters who were in conflict over something that had happened. And I suggested that perhaps if you had moved the discussion to before it had happened so that the stakes were high, you know, they, they could make prevent. the same argument, but one, but it was actually about preventing it from happening or mm -hmm. not. Um, you know, but the result was, I, I mean, I don't think, I mean, I think on one hand, the next draft was very different because it had one different character and took place at a different timeline in the story. But I also think it actually really, I think, got much more to the heart of what you were writing about. Yeah. Um, and maintained an awful lot of actually the material that had been in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but but reframed it in a way that that I think seemed to me freed you up. And certainly, I have had things where I'm banging my head against the wall, and someone gives a suggestion that all of a sudden just lets me look at it totally in a fresh in a fresh way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, I've been trying to make this work, and what you pointed out to me is that actually isn't the most important thing. Yeah. That was the route I was trying to take to this other important thing. But you're absolutely right. If I went or if I went by this other road, that you know, and it. it it, I still end up at the same place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And again, hopefully, it's because they're listening to the play you're writing and they're like, I like this place you're going. Um, yeah. The road you're going on, I keep feeling like I'm going to fall off the edge of it because I don't quite understand how it's happening. But there's, there, you know, look at another way. Mm -hmm. um, how do you, I mean, we've already moved into this a bit, but when you are listening to feedback, what are you listening for? How do you listen to it? Well, if it's a later draft and I have specific questions on, on things that, that I I've, I've know that I've consciously tried to address, you know, I, I want to know the answers to those things. Those are helpful, obviously, in whether what I was consciously working on, if I was successful. There's also, and this has happened with literally everything I've ever tried to write that I bought into workshop, which is that there's, there's uh, an issue at play or a dramatic question of play, of which I either, <laughs> the, the play begs the question and I don't bother to answer it and I really need to, mm -hmm. or there's an issue at hand that would, uh, that, that relates to the play that I really would, would be served by exploring. And that gets back to the proximity thing, which is, you know, those are always a huge surprise to me when that's suggested and then usually seems completely obvious once it's been suggested mm -hmm. to me. Is usually pretty exciting. That I mean, you you had a, one of the really important things to listen for and hear and feedback is whether you have left open questions. Yeah. Because actually, that's great. What that means is I have set up a situation and made things happen that made people want to know something. They are invested in this part of the story, and either I mean, I I, I think generally to make a fulfilling theatrical experience, you need to either answer the dramatic questions you've asked or make a very clear point of refusing to answer them. And if that's the case, you really have to choose one or maybe two dramatic questions you're refusing to get an answer to. Right. Um, you know, and, and I think it's one of those things, when you hear from somebody, I was left really wondering about what happened to Bob, right. and you have one of two choices. Either you can answer what happened to Bob, or you can go back and take out what it was that made them want to know what happened to Bob if it's not important to you that they care about Bob. We should not care about Bob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but again, that's again, it is that thing about, uh, about how you listen to it, that the, the feedback that people are giving you is, again, part of your investigation of how successful you are. It's not prescriptive. 
if they say, I wanted to know what happened to Bob, you need to take that seriously as a data point. But it doesn't mean you need to tell them what happened to Bob. Exactly. You also have the option to take out whatever it was that raised that question for them. That's a valid and totally legitimate response to that feedback. But if that's feedback that, you know, certainly, especially if it's feedback that more than one person has, you do need to, in some way or another, address the Bob issue. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I also like to, when I'm listening to the reading, I like to see if, if the actors bring anything unique that you know, might spin something mm -hmm. off. And also, you know, if, if someone really focused on an element of the story that I hadn't really considered important, but actually really inspires something new, like gives me some new direction to write, uh, that, that I'm always listening for. Because I, I, ultimately what I'm looking for is I, I definitely am li listening to know if there's problems, if things don't make sense, if there's questions left unanswered, if people hate something. You know, I definitely want to know that. But ultimately, I want to know where to go next, what, what to do next. And part of that is being inspired and, and just kind of like, like revving my engines to go. And so anything that kind of uh, feeds that fire I'm always listening for like it, I, I mean I'm not looking I'm not looking to bring something in just to make people laugh but if if that happens it's like okay good now I can do this you know and so it's always it's always nice to to have like new new thoughts provoked I, I used to get incredibly anxious about bringing my plays to be read at places and I just don't anymore I mean part of it is that I have more or less brought in writing to be read and get feedback on at a weekly workshop for 10 years now, and I'm just kind of used to it. But part of it is something that I stumbled upon a while ago that I find really useful, which is that when we do the workshop, I, I moderate the workshop, and usually after we hear something read, I tend to open up the floor and let people talk for a while before I, I weigh in. But one of the things that, that part of that is, is hearing you know, what the general, you know, zeitgeist is about, you know, how, how people are responding to it. And so that I can sort of frame my thoughts in terms of the way the advice that I would give or the thoughts that I would give based on what we're hearing. And I actually try as much as possible to listen to the conversations of my own plays that way. It's something that's really freeing to hear people talk about not my play, but the play, and think about, given what we heard, given what these people are saying, what advice would I give the playwright about what hmm. to do next? And then I give myself that advice. But there's something about that, and it's just a little minor mental shift, that if that's how you're listening to it, about if this was Tim's play, what would I suggest Tim do next with the play? It, it's... It's strangely freeing and really allows me, at least, to sort of separate um, myself from it. Because I know I, I, there was a time, and it was a while ago, but people wouldn't like something to play. I get very hurt by it. Mm. And I, I really don't anymore. Um, you know, and I think, you know, there certainly are hurtful things somebody could say, but usually that's when it's inappropriate. That's when somebody says something about, you know, that there's no place for in the room. But there is something that, it, I mean, it feels when you're writing a play and people are talking about it, to remember they're talking about the play, they're not talking about you. And since you're bringing it to them for feedback, it's because you're at a stage where you can still change things. And so if people got something that's totally not what you meant, and even something that you're horrified that you thought that they thought you meant that, well, all that means is now you've got a time where you can address that. You can do something about it. So the play doesn't keep saying that about it, because hopefully the people you're showing it to for feedback are people who you trust to know you well enough that you weren't advocating for this horrible thing that they thought you were advocating for. Yeah. So I think that's a good place to wrap up. So for myself and Jen and Tim and Jenny, thanks for joining us. If you uh, like what you're hearing and would like other people to hear about us, please spread the word. 
and also go to iTunes and write reviews and give us stars. If you are not subscribed, please also go to iTunes and subscribe. And if you want to know more about the Cry Havoc Company and the projects that we have coming up, go to www.cryhavoccompany.org. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you soon. You can learn more about the Cry Havoc Company at cryhavoccompany.org. Questions or comments can be sent to podcasts at cryhavoccompany.org. All music from this show came from the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Thanks for listening and please subscribe.